Well, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. I like the splits. Did you see that guy doing the splits? Little known fact, that was Pastor Sean. That was him doing that out there. But anyway, glad you're here today. If you're online, I want to welcome you as well. Do me a favor, turn to someone near you and smile and say, it is gorgeous outside. Do that, would you? We've been waiting for months. It's gorgeous outside. Man, it is beautiful. Hopefully you've been enjoying. We went out this morning. It was actually a little chilly as we had our, our coffee out on the front deck or on the back deck today, but it was, man, it was so nice to be out there. If you have your Bibles with you today, take them. Go to about the middle section to Psalm 23. We're going to, with fear and trembling, try to tackle a, a passage that has been... Uh, well, I'm going, to dear, I'm going to guess every pastor at one time or another has done something out of Psalm 23, more than likely has preached it at a funeral. It is probably one of the most studied, beloved, if, if not the Psalms of all of Scripture. It's a passage that folks have uh, for years have been reciting and memorizing. When I was a kid growing up, we had uh, certain passages of Scripture that they wanted us to memorize. And we probably did lots of different passages. But I remember Psalm 23 was one of those that they wanted us to learn in its entirety. And then if you come into the New Testament, it was the Lord's Prayer. And so whenever I think about uh, our kids and our children's ministry, I, I ask that question. Hey, where are we teaching? Where are we challenging them to memorize certain things? And how do we get them to memorize the books of the Bible? And this is one of those passages. Now, the reason I say with fear and trembling, it's kind of like if there's a song that is well known by one artist, I, I would encourage you, unless you really knock it out of the park, don't try to sing that song. Um, this might be a little before your time, but somebody, will, in fact, I would guess even those that this is before your time, you'll still have a name that'll come to your mind. If I say the song, I did it my way, who do you think of? Frank Sinatra or Phil Whetstone, one of those two, real similar, real similar. If you're going to pick a song, you tend to pick songs, right, that, that are not everybody else or one person hasn't made it kind of famous. And so uh, I today I'm going to take on Psalm 23, even though it's famous. Now, Pastor Dan a few weeks ago did a great job of opening up the Psalms. And he talked about how there are really five categories of Psalms. There are praises and hymns right? Uh, it's the praise celebration. Uh, Psalm 100, I think, falls into this. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, right? Make a joyful noise to Him. It's this idea of praising the Lord. There's the lament. To me, there's difference between lamenting and complaining. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But lamenting is bringing our needs and our cries before the Lord. Uh, next week, we're going to take a look at a couple of those laments. Why, O oh Lord, are you so far away from me? How long are you going to uh, not turn your face toward me? It's this idea of bringing our, our needs, our concerns before the Lord. You have the royal psalms, a little bit more historical in nature, tends to come from the theme or about a king, but it kind of gives a recap of church history and, and early history, and, and so you learn a lot in those ones. You have the wisdom psalms, which they teach us uh, something for life. That's what Pastor Dan looked at in Psalm 1, how to nourish our soul, how to care for our soul. And then there's the thanksgiving psalm, which is exactly what it sounds like, giving thanks to God for his provision in our life. Now, in Psalm 23 is a passage that I have known since I was just a little kid, but through various versions, I learned it in the King James Version, 
probably moved to the NIV version somewhere in the early 80s, and then the NIV version has changed a little bit, and then I got the NASB version, and through different versions, I know the context and I know the basis of the, of the psalm, but I, I don't always know the exactness of the song. And about 14, 15 years ago, I was driving on 10th Avenue down as it crossed Lapeer. I was sitting at the light. And as strongly as I have ever felt impressed of the Lord, I felt like he very specifically said, Phil, I want you to rememorize Psalm 23. I didn't know why. It didn't take me very long to do it. I just went back, pulled out my Bible, got the version in my head, and this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Some versions say the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when I have focused on this over the years, there tend to be certain phrases that jump out at me. For example, if you've ever been afraid or near death or going through a death experience with someone, it's the valley of the shadow of death, right? That, that speaks volumes to us. The one other one that really speaks to me is that passage, and it, it probably never did as a kid, but it certainly has in life has been that um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you think about a table, right? A table, a banquet, a spread. And I don't know about you, but when I feel like I'm being attacked by an enemy, and let's just say an enemy is someone who wishes harm on me, or an enemy is someone who is uh, coming against me, or let's just say it's someone who wants to take my life, right? He says that when I'm going through those times, you prepare a table before me, a full spread, which, again, who feels like eating when you're under attack? But it's the fact is, is that in the midst of attack, you're able to bring me a sense of peace and normalcy. But the one that kind of rocks me, I can't get past it every time I read it. I, I quote it all the time at, at funerals. Is, uh, it says, you restore my soul. Say that with me, would you? You restore my soul. Which infers something. It means our soul needs to be restored. Our soul gets damaged. Our soul gets broken. Our soul in the Old Testament, and there's a little bit of a difference in the Old and the New Testament on this, that when you talk about the soul, the soul is the eternal aspect of who we are. It's, the, it's, it's what makes us who we are. It's not, our, it's not our physical body. It's our emotions. It's our will. It's our, it's our personality. But it's the part of us that is able to commune with God. 
It's the eternal aspect. It's, it's what God breathed into us when he created humanity, our soul. Now, when you get into the New Testament, there's a little bit of a division. It says that the Word of God is powerful, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He says he's able to penetrate even into dividing soul and spirit. And so he seems to indicate that there's the soul aspect of who we are, which is kind of our base self, and the spirit aspect, which is our spiritual self. But let's just, for the sake of conversation today... The, the part of me that no one else can see, the part of me that I may not even completely understand myself, but that God sees, it's what makes me who I am. That part of me sometimes can fade and get damaged. It needs healing. And the greatest example of this that came to my mind this morning is, uh, and I, I don't want to horrify anybody with, like, with this, but I, I feel kind of bad about it now, but a couple of years ago, I bought a very nice wicker rocking chair. And uh, the only reason I'm horrifying you is what I did to it. I, um, I bought it, went to a garage sale, it, 10 bucks I paid the guy. It was a really nice rocking chair, kind of one of those types that you see out in front of Cracker Barrel. And I thought, man, this would be so good outside. It'd be a really cool chair out there. And uh, I just never bothered to put it away. And so we put it on our back deck several years ago. And let me just tell you, between rain, cold, snow, uh, sun, birds, <laughs> and that thing is now starting to fade a lot. The, 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 the beautiful finish that was on it has just kind of faded away. It's kind of been rubbed off of it. The wicker is starting to, and I feel kind of bad now. I was out there the other day, and I'm like, man, I really probably should have just put that away. But it's interesting how the elements, how the climate, how, how it just kind of attacks, and over time, something like that that's left out in the elements can just kind of can dwindle. The same thing happens in our soul. Things just kind of attack it, and you don't even realize it. Psalm 23 actually mentions a number of them. Uh, one of them is fatigue. Fatigue is not just a physical tiredness. It's a tiredness that doesn't go away even when I'm resting. Even when I, even when I sleep, I wake up, I'm tired. It's like the, the heaviness of life that just kind of weighs on me. It's a burdened sense. Fatigue, he says in this passage, he says um, that he makes me to lie down because sometimes we need to rest. Another thing that creates fatigue of the soul or a, a, a soul wear is stress. And when you're in a stressful situation, it's really interesting. You guys have probably heard this before, but it struck me um, about a month ago. I was looking for some bows to donate to uh, our, our Brown City camp for the kids camp. And I came across at this estate sale, new in the box. I mean, they were, they, were, they were brand new, but they were 70 years old. These old bows you used to play with as a kid, um, you know, you, you bend them, you put the string on them, and you shoot them and stuff, and, and I, they were really cool. If One of them was still literally in the box, and so I bought them, and it reminded me something you're supposed to do with those bows is you're supposed to make sure that when you're done with those bows, you take the string off because if you're constantly strung, they'll break on you. It wears them out, and so you need to take the stress off every once in a while. And that's how we are. If we're constantly in stress, your soul has a, a way of feeling the pain of that. Stress can do it. Sin can do it. 
There's a reason that he talks about that he leads me on the paths of righteousness because sin has a way of kind of attacking the soul. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 talks about that when there's, when there's sin in my life, it has an impact in my walk with the Lord. And, and when my walk with the Lord is in, in, uh, not where it needs to be, it, it impacts every part of my life. Honestly, it's a little bit like um, when, my, when my relationship with my wife isn't good. It impacts every area of my life, and it doesn't matter how good everything else is. If, if my home life, if that's not in a good place, it impacts everything else. And it's also true that if, if Tammy and I are doing well, no matter what else goes on in my life, I can handle it because I know we're okay. That's how our walk with the Lord impacts our soul. Soul weariness. Sin can do that to us, right? Uh, death and life, when you go through loss, when you watch loss, when you're facing loss. Man, I've had people who have disagreed with me over the years, some of them pastors, when I talk about the fact that death is an affront to who we are. It isn't natural. We were created to live. God created humanity to live. Sin came into the world through disobedience, and the result of that is death. And so when people tell me that they're not necessarily afraid of death, but they, they, they want to live. I say, you shouldn't feel bad about that. God created us to live. It's okay for you to want to live. I'm ready for heaven. I just don't want to be on the first train. <laughs> I suppose when I get there, I'll wish I came on an earlier train, but it's okay because God created us to live. And when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, it, it does, it takes it out of you. One of the things I tell people when they've gone through loss is I'll often pull them aside, either as a family or as individuals, and I'll say, now here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have hundreds of people come through, and you're going to be ministered to by the memories that they share of your loved one. Allow those memories to minister to you. You'll hear stories you didn't know. You'll hear stories you hadn't heard in years, and it will minister to your inner being. And you're going to come through the funeral, and you'll have a funeral dinner. You'll have a burial or whatever you do there, and you're going to go home, and you're going to sit down in a chair, and you're going to collapse and you're not going to want to get out of the chair. And the next day, you're going to get up, and you're going to sit in a chair, and you're not going to get out of a chair. It's okay. Just sit in a chair. And the next day, you're going to just going to sit in a chair, and I said, it's okay. Let yourself sit in a chair. But on the third day, make yourself get out of the chair. When you go through loss, it takes something from you. It, 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 it wearies the soul. Personal attacks. Notice what he says in this passage. In the presence of my enemies, whether that enemy is someone who's attacking you at work or a church or, or, or in your family or a, or a co-worker, whatever it is, when you feel like you're under attack, it wearies your soul. When you have an uncertain hope, number six, he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But when I have an uncertainty about the future, that has a way of affecting the soul. And when I feel alone, when I am sitting in a crowd of four or five hundred people and I feel like I'm completely alone. That loneliness has a way of wearying the soul. And David is writing, and he's writing a, a psalm 
of affirmation, of testimony of what God has done for him. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God takes an illustration from his youth, that of a shepherd, one David understood uniquely of how a shepherd cares for his sheep. And as he's in prayer, praising God, singing an affirmation to him. Do you ever do this sometimes? Sometimes you praise God because in your heart you're praising God and then sometimes you begin to sing truths about God to him and you don't quite feel it, but you know it's true and the more you sing it, the more you feel it within your heart. There are five promises the shepherd makes for your soul if it's weary this morning and the first one is very simple. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. I am with you. Can we just say this? He is with me. Say that, would you? He is with me. Notice all throughout this passage, he talks about how the Lord is with him. He says the shepherd who by virtue, the shepherd is always with his sheep. The, the shepherd always watches over his sheep. So the whole thing is kind of ensconced in this idea that the shepherd is with you. But he says, he's with me. He's with me. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Your rod and staff comfort me, but it's because you're with me. I know one who is more powerful than I is walking through this with me. I know the one who gives me the, the power of his presence in my life. It is the most common promise in all of Scripture. It is God's answer for fear. It is God's answer for anxiety. It is God's promise for tomorrow. He says, I promise you, I'll be with you. No matter what you're going through, I'll be with you. If you ever wondered whether or not God cares about you, his promise to constantly be with us, what does he say? Therefore, what can man do to me? He says, the Lord promises, I will never leave you, never forsake you. Therefore, what can mankind do to me? I'm with you. And you may feel like you're all alone and you may feel as though you've been abandoned. By the way, it is a feeling that's in some of the laments of the Psalms when he says, how long, God, are you going to forsake me? How long, oh God? It's very natural to feel very distant from God when your soul is weary and the answer, the antidote for that is, but you're, I haven't left you. I really am with you. Number two, he makes a second promise. I, I like this one, although I don't always like it, uh, but I like it, I guess maybe today. He says, I will lead you to rest even if I have to make you rest. There's a story that's behind that. It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And sometimes we need rest, and sometimes if we're unwilling to slow down and rest, the Lord will make us rest. Pastor Bruce, in our first hour this morning, he came to mind. And it's been, oh, he told me, and I'm, I'm thinking it's 11, 12 years ago, Pastor Bruce had a, some of you who were here will remember this, he had a fall. Um, he had been out bow hunting, was in a very high tree stand. As he was getting out after dark, he, he went to hold on 
to what he thought was the ladder and it was a it was a dead branch and he fell backwards about 20 feet and I remember when he called me I was just coming out of Saturday night venue they were taking him to the hospital he'd broken his back there were three guys by the way in the area that fell out of their tree stand that year he's the only one who is alive or walking in fact, I told him it really bugs me because he's, he's like 13 years older than I am and he still can do more than I can and he had a broken back. <laughs> now, we probably will disagree who said this, but when I went to see him in the hospital, I say he said it, he said that I said it, one of us said it. But he said, well, I guess... <clears throat> that if I wasn't willing, if he hasn't, Pastor Bruce has a hard time settling down sometimes. And so what came out of it was simply this, is that he was forced for the next 12 weeks to rest. And he said, I'm either gonna rest by my choice or I'll rest because God makes me rest. But he will make me lie down. I have a young man in our church I stay fairly connected with, and he's uh, in a, um, an area this summer that he is not enjoying. And I called him, and we prayed about uh, the beginning of his summer, and he, he literally said this to me, I'm not, I don't really like this place, and I'm, I don't really like what I'm going to be doing this summer, but I figure maybe this is just God's it's an opportunity for me just to grow closer with the Lord. And you may be going through a time of forced pause, whether it be because of work and it's not there or maybe because of illness or whatever the reason is, but you're in a holding pattern of pause that you don't really want to be in. And maybe the Lord's promise to you is, is that in this time, I can restore your soul. The third promise he makes in this passage, not only will I be with you, not only am I going to lead you, but I'm able to quiet your soul even in the midst of attack. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but I want to kind of set the table a little bit because he says, you, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Uh, the anointing with oil in Scripture there's, there's different kinds of oil. There's the oil of joy for a soul that's depressed or discouraged. Um, there's the oil of peace, I would say, when you're in the presence of those who want to attack you. There's the oil of physical healing. There's the oil of provision. All throughout Scripture, this picture of anointing is a picture of God's favor and provision in a person's life. And it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And when I read this passage, it blew me away because he's saying even when there are people around you who want to destroy you, who are accusing you, who are attacking you, even when you have those people in your life, I can give you a sense of peace. I can give you a sense of normalcy. I can quiet your soul. 
And there have been times in my life, because the last thing you feel like doing when you're under attack is to eat, but it's interesting, or have normalcy, but it's interesting no matter where you're at, whether you feel it's a spouse, or whether you feel it's a co-worker, or whoever it is that's attacking, who's your enemy, what's your enemy? Your enemy wishes you dead, right? Those people in my life that want to attack me, he says, I can quiet your soul. Number four, he says this, I know where you're at, wherever you're at is at. I always see you, and I know exactly where you're at, no matter where you're at. Notice what he says in this passage. He, he, says, he says, when I go through a particularly hard time, if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, if your enemy is attacking you, wherever you are, that's where I am, and wherever you are, I promise I know exactly where you are. The name El Roy was given to God. El mean Elohim. It's the God who is the creator God. Roy is the one who sees me. And it's given by Hagar, who is a, an abandoned single mom of Ishmael. And she is out in the desert, ready to, to she's wondering where her meal is going to come from. And she gives the Lord the name El Roy, which means the God who sees me. And I can't tell you, this is, I could literally name story after story after story of how people have witnessed to me and shared with me how God spoke to them in some of the most unusual circumstances, but just simply let them know that he was with them. A number of years ago, I was preaching out of Second Chronicles on King Asa. King Asa was a young king who was a, actually was a very good king. He started really strong. Later in his life, he became a, a little self-dependent, became very stubborn against the Lord. And at the end of his life, he started really strong. He ended really badly, which is not a good way. I'd rather go the other way, start badly, end strong. But anyway, he ended really badly, and he was so mad at God toward the end of his life that Scripture says that he refused to seek the Lord for healing, even though he had this foot disease that was going to ultimately take his life. And I remember doing this message, and at the end of the message, the way his life ended, it simply said, he refused to seek the Lord for healing, and he, desired, he, he, uh, he died of a disease of the feet. And at the end of the message, everybody was walking out, you know, talking to themselves, saying, man, that was, that was such a great message. No, I'm just kidding. They probably didn't say that at all. Everybody was walking out, and I had a young man, and if you're here, I honestly don't remember who this is. But there was a young man that started walking down this aisle and got right about there to three or four chairs back, and I was standing down here, and it seemed as though he was coming up to talk, so I, I went back and I met him right there in the aisle. And I said, um, hey, what's the Lord speaking to you about? And he said, I have a disease of the feet. And he had this type of disease. Now, I don't know, maybe everybody has a disease of the feet. I, I didn't, I'd never known a person with a disease of the feet. That wasn't the, that wasn't the meaning of the message. But when he heard that phrase and he heard the invitation that God wants to meet you with healing, he said, I feel like God is speaking to me right now that I need to come up and admit what I'm going through 
and asked for somebody to pray for me. And I prayed with them right there. And I would tell you that is the weirdest coincidence in the world, except isn't that exactly what God does? He taps you on the shoulder, and it's like you're the only person in the room. And I have people, hundreds of them, that say it's like, it's like you know exactly what to say. It seems like you were speaking directly to me. And I always say it's because I was. Your wife called me. No, I never have had that happen. In fact, I, I, no, it's never happened. I've had that happen so many times. And they'll say, it's like God was speaking directly to me. And I said, it's because God was speaking directly to you. I had one young lady that was so mad at me because she knew I was preaching at her. She didn't come to our church. Neither her, he, her, her husband her or her husband did come to our church. I had no idea she was even in the area. They came to our church just on the cuff. And I knew they were going through marital issues and the whole message that morning spoke directly to her and she was so angry. And I said, I had no cheats. I mean, those were done three days ago. I had no idea you were going to be here. But she knew that was God speaking to her. Had a grandma who called me, tech, uh, sent me an email just a couple of weeks after Easter one year. And I, I don't even remember why, but I did a Bob Seger song, Turn the Page. I just, I don't know. Where'd it come from? No idea. And she she emailed me and she said, you have no idea how important that was because I had my grandchildren with me that day and their dad, they'd lost their dad with really hard circumstances. And she said, they sat there with their head down. They had never been to church before. I don't know if they've been back since. But when you mentioned that song, that was their dad's favorite song, and their heads just looked up and they felt like God was speaking directly to them. I had a guy a month ago come in and share with me. He was trying to discern all this stuff that God was speaking to him. And I will just tell you right now, I am not an interpreter of signs. And if you had a crazy dream, I'd love to hear it, but I'm not going to help you understand what it's about. Okay? But he was so moved by these different things through illness that God had spoken to him. And here's what I said to him, and I'm going to say this to you. I have no idea what any of this means except one thing. If you ever wondered if God knew where you were at, if he ever knew what you were going through and whether he cared, The answer is yes. And some of you are sitting here today and your soul is, whether because of the abuse of the elements or just life, it feels weary. And you wonder, does God even care and know where I'm at? And the shepherd promises, 
I know where you're at. I care where you're at, no matter where your at is at. And the final promise made in this is that when you cry out to me, I promise I'll hear you. And you're saying, well, it doesn't say that anywhere in this passage. The entire passage says it. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is the one who guards. The shepherd is the one who protects. The shepherd is the one who never leaves his sheep. The shepherd is the one, Jesus says, who will leave the 99 to look for the one who's gone astray. The shepherd is the one who will carry you on his back. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They know my voice. I know their voice. So when Peter says, that we've entrusted you now to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. He knows exactly what he's saying because no one's going to care for you more than the shepherd of your soul. Let me finish the end of the story I started with. I'm down on 10th Avenue at the cross section of Lapeer. It is as close to audible as it can get where the Lord challenges me to go and rememorize Psalm 23. I do it by the end of the day. It wasn't two weeks later that unexpectedly my dad was taken into surgery and we found out he had fourth stage cancer. The next 17 months, I can't tell you how many times when I woke up in the middle of the night and life just rushed in and I thought I'll never get back to sleep, I just began to repeat the Lord's Prayer. Last 14 years, I do that. When I'm going through a stressful time or I feel under attack or I don't know what else to pray, it's one of those things that my soul cries out even when my soul doesn't know how else to pray. God knows exactly where you're at and he knows exactly how to come alongside of you and restore your soul. Can you do me a favor? Would you stand with me? I, I think we're going to see it right up here. Uh, can we say this together and just make this the cry and the prayer of your heart to the Lord this morning? Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Father, this morning, I I know this is a familiar passage, but Lord, I believe it's a brand new promise that you want to redeem and restore and bring back to its original beauty our souls. To bring them to that original beauty that we once enjoyed. And so, Lord, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through this morning, I pray you would continue to minister these promises. And in ministering these promises, would you do a healing work that only you can do. We thank you, Father. We love you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.